We are live, boys. Hey, what's up, everybody? What's up? Woo! You are listening to Bonus Features Podcast, a podcast about animation. And yes. sometimes, sometimes music. Actually, I don't think we've talked about music We yet. talked about music, like, very briefly. We can talk about music today, because Ghost in the Show has a very cool yes, it soundtrack. Does. His name is Kenji Kawai. And he always works with... Uh, our director for Ghost in the Shell today. Yeah, this is the Bonus Features Podcast. I am Corduroy. I am Meta Senpai. Yeah, that's good. That's what you are. I think. Meta Senpai. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're in the dumpster studio today yeah y'all know which one you know which one you know which if one. you hear various droning machines in the background that's why but yeah we're coming to you on this lovely sunday morning to talk to you about ghost in the shell because it's a great a great film to talk about yes it is not the one that came out this year no disclaimer not not the one that came out in 2017, the not, one that came out... Not great at all. The in, one that came out in 95. In 95, when the almighty Space Jam was released. It's your chance to... No, okay, we're not doing that, no. All right, all right, no, all right. No, we're not doing this. <laughs> hey, you, what you going to do? No, okay. So today we're going to talk about the Ghost in the Shell OVA, the 1995 film. But first, Medicine Pie, why don't you tell us a little bit about the director of the film? Okay. So our boy, Mamoru Oshii. That's our boy. Bless, bless him. He's a filmmaker, a television director, and a screenwriter. He is mainly known for using a lot of philosophy-oriented storytelling. Definitely. Kind of like... People compare him to Satoshi Khan sometimes, but I feel like Mr. Oshi is a little more straightforward. Yeah, he worked on a lot of stuff that I didn't even know he was involved with, like movies I had seen when I was a kid that I just didn't. Yeah, I didn't think to look up a director. But um, five-year-old Garrett is regretting himself. I am. So he was involved in Angel's Egg, the Pat Labor movies, the second Ghost in the Shell movie, Skycrawlers, Jinro. And he also did some work on Urusei Yatsura, which is a comedy from the 80s done by the lovely Rumiko Takahashi. So, uh, oh, and he was also credited as a co-planner for Blood Plus, which a lot of people who watch animes, anime probably knows that show. Yeah, didn't know that he was a... I had no idea that he was even involved. Hans Zimmer did the music for that one. Bless. But yeah. A lot of lot of good stuff. Mainly from like the his most popular stuff seems to be from like the early eighties to like the mid nineties around that area, the mid to late nineties. It's like that very Yeah. That spike in great movies all at one time. Yeah, because he did I guess Angel's Egg and then like Ghost in the Shell and Pot Labor. But then he didn't do a sequel for Ghost in the Shell until like It's like two thousand yeah, like... It wasn't four. Like, 
almost 10 years after the original. Like a while, it was, it was a while. Maybe it was 2004. Yeah. I feel like it was longer than 10 years, but I'm yeah. not exactly sure. So, Mamoru Oshii. Yeah, so he did, he's gotten great accolades for the 1995 Ghost in the Shell. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, or you've heard of it, you've heard of like the 2017 film with Scarlett Johansson, but you, you aren't sure like what the source material is. The source material actually is a manga. Of the yes, it is a old manga with a very pretty art style that I like a lot. Very pretty. So, Ghost in the Shell, the manga, was created by Masumuna Shiro, and it kicked off the franchise um, in the 80s, and it was, it was, that was when, like, there was a boom of science fiction comics, there were a lot of stuff at that time. Yeah, it went on for, how many, I think it went on for a long time, but then the movie in 1995 just took, like, a a certain arc the arc with the puppet master and then that's what that movie was about yeah very ahead of its time as far as the technology and stuff it's very yeah it is really cool because um i believe it's based on the year 2029 so that's not like super far off from now no no that's honestly like 10 or 11 years from now so how would you describe the basic premise of ghost in the show uh, the Matrix. The ba- the Matrix. It's basically the Matrix. It's, it's, no, it's it's the premise <laughs> is like essentially like it's basically set in a future, future cops. Future cops, yeah, like future cops who and, use great technology to hunt people doing cyber crimes and yeah, stuff like that. It's kind of like future black ops. She works for the future special ops division of the government. And in this future, computers comprise about 90% of the world. They haven't completely dominated humans or society yet, but... Yeah. But humans are starting to trade in their normal human bodies for prosthetics because the technology is there, and they're like, I don't want to get old. That's stupid. Why the heck would I, why would I want to age? Why Gross. would I age when I could be a... Oh, and I could just update myself exactly. all the time. Oh, I wish I could just update myself. Yo. I wish I could just iOS update myself. I just need that update, that iOS 11.1 or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, so they live in this future where a lot of humans have augmented parts of their bodies. And Matoko Kusanagi is an assault team leader for the public security section 9 of Newport City in, in Japan. So... Basically, this is a huge, futuristic, like, Hong Kong-type mega city. Yeah, it's a weird mixture of, like, different... Because it has, like, the typical, like, like Asian feel to it, but it also feels a lot like a lot of other different cities. And just tech, tech, technologified up, in, up into the late 2029s. 20, the late 29s. So, yeah, so we're in this future, and... So Matoko Kusanagi has a cyber brain. That's kind of how she got the name, or she is like a ghost in the shell. So she has a cyber brain, which is a mechanical casing for the human brain that allows access to the internet and other networks. 
and they they kind of refer to her human brain as a ghost sometimes mm-hmm. right. because it's like it's her soul essentially it refers to the consciousness inhabiting the body and her body they refer to as the shell so ghost in the shell yeah that, that's and, that, and that's the that's the ghost in the nutshell that's the ghost in the nutshell <laughs> i'll be here all week Alright, so the film's plot follows the hunt by the Public Security Agency Section 9 for a mysterious hacker known as the Puppet Master. With the assistance of her team, Makoto Kuzanagi tracks and finds their suspect only to be drawn into a complex sequence of political intrigue and cover up as to the identity and goals of the Puppet Master. Yeah. So that's basically, that's what this movie's about. Um, it's like I said, it's just, it focuses on a smaller arc in the manga. And throughout the movie, there's a dialogue between Matoko, who is, like we said, she has a cyber brain. So she's 97% a cyborg or like a computer and yes. 3% human. Like, I guess that's what the manga said. Yeah. They might've made some changes in the film. I mean... They changed a lot of Makoto from the film to the manga. They did. From the manga to the film. Like, she's a lot di- Like, her personality's different. She mm-hmm. was more playful and childish in the manga. Yeah, yeah. And, like, in the film, they made her very just, like, stoic and yeah. serious. But, but not to the point where she just feels, like, completely inhuman or anything like that. Like, she still has her personality. She still makes jokes occasionally in yeah. the film. She she likes to scuba dive. She she does like the scuba so dive. So she she has hobbies, you know. I don't. I guess you know. In the future, everything is waterproof because I don't understand how. Did you not? What? You didn't see that part. Uh, what was the explanation for that? I don't know, but she likes to scuba dive. I saw that part, but, but she has hobbies. I know. I'm she's, saying she's I don't more understand. human than she seems. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I saw it, the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Ghost in the Shell has influenced many, many, many directors and film producers following the movie's debut in 1995. And... A few of them, just to mention them, are the Wachowskis. James Cameron mentioned it as being an inspiration for his movie Avatar. Steven Spielberg for the movie AI. And in the 2015 movie Ex Machina, which don't know the director's name, but that movie, for those who haven't seen it, was basically about dealing with AI and AI becoming... AI learning so much that it, like, of course, tries to conquer its creator, which, yes, that's the movie. That's the, that's <laughs> that's the, the movie. movie. <laughs> but not on, like, such a huge scale. Like, it's not, like, all robots. This isn't the Animatrix where it's, like, all robots have, like, there's not, like, a huge war or anything, but there's just certain people who are, like... Cybernetic. Like, yeah, just, like... People who can move their consciousness through technology and mess stuff yeah. up. 
Yeah, so in the movie, there's a they talk about ghost hacking, which yes. is when um, one a person can basically hack the mind of another another human brain by like penetrating them with like m- false memories and just like yep. information. Yes. And so it happens in the film a bit. It's but, pretty um, wild. It's crazy. Yeah, ghost hacking. I feel like that's something that like you would see on Twitter like man she just ghost hacked me. Oh my god. <laughs> you get ghost hacked. I got ghost hacked <laughs> one time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um what else has the has Ghost in the Shell franchise influenced? Well, I mean or obviously like we already talked about the, that, but like obviously how? like the Matrix and stuff like that, and there's a lot of sim- similarities just from, like not just like narratively, but like aesthetically, there's a lot of similarities, like how in the Matrix they plug in mm-hmm. through the back of their neck, and then Makoto in the movie she has the board in the back of her neck that she plugs stuff into. Yeah. Yeah. And the um opening sequence of ghost in the shell has the like green code that's like yes it has that like right the green like numbers the matrix thing the the matrix we all know it y'all know what y'all know what we're talking we all know it as the matrix thing but really it's the ghost in the shell thing and the director mamoru oshi he said in an interview that like people always come up to him and like tell him like oh Ghost in the Shell is just like The Matrix. And, like, he's just like, I know that, like, (laughs) because they they got it from me and I got it from other movies, like Blade Runner, and, like, we all just feed off of each other. Yep. So that's funny. I have a quote from Vulture.com that I'm going to try to read. Wish me luck. Okay. All right. Good luck. So... The film's brilliantly creative action sequences inspired Western filmmakers from the Wachowskis to Steven Spielberg to take note, but Oshi does a lot with character, making a more sensitive figure out of the major cyborg partner, Bato, and letting mostly biological Togusa act as a wide-eyed audience surrogate. The real supporting star, however, is the iconic haunting score by Kenji Kawai. Yes whose main theme elevates the virtuosic opening sequence and halfway point montage of the city, which is plot-free and dialogue-free, but vividly evokes Matoko's alienation from the society she lives and even her own body. This is Ghost in the Shell at its moodiest and perhaps incidentally its most successful. And that was from the article A Beginner's Guide to the Ghost in the Shell Universe by Emily Yoshida. That's the one I sent you. Oh, okay, gotcha. I didn't read it, but that's yeah. awesome. No, that was it was a good article. So in the movie, in the film, there's this it's the halfway point of the film. And it's kind of when the major is just like dwelling on her or yeah, dwelling on her humanity and like the importance of her humanity, which isn't much because like I said, she's like ninety something percent robot right. computer. So she's thinking about that, and there's this montage right in the middle of the movie that's... I liked it. Other movie reviewers criticized it. I liked it. Like, you know, it's just a long... It's literally, like, 
just it's it's like is it the part with that song it's the weird song like the like the yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i love that part and then it's like this weird part where these this group of people have yellow umbrellas and they're just running yeah it's just i mean i I mean i i personally love artsy stuff like that yeah and i love it when directors use a music sequence to move like information along the montage is a great yes, I love it so much. Vehicle of narrative, especially if film. like, especially if the music's like good and it matches with the animation really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I really like it because it. it's like I don't know. Like I told you, I was watching <laughs> videos about Your Name, and a big criticism for that movie was that um, they do like a voice. Sometimes they'll do like a voiceover explanation of things. And some people were saying, like, you don't need to do a voiceover explanation of things if you just show us, like, you can show us what's happening. So this was cool because we just saw a lot of stuff that the major was doing and we just saw her environment. You could tell by how moody it was that she was not really happy and dwelling on her, like, lingering humanity. So, like, that was cool to see in a montage form. Yeah. Anyway, the music for that movie is great. Kenji Kawai, we talked about it a little bit the other day on the radio show, but it's really ethereal and like it's cool because it's like you're we're in this futuristic setting, but the music is very like it sounds very ancient. Yes. It's like a choir. It's like a sounds Japanese like a, wedding song. Is that what the Japanese wedding song sounds like? It's a Japanese. It's based off a Japanese wedding song to dispel evil. Oh, it must be okay. Like to get rid back of, in the day. Back in the day. Back yeah. In the day. Yes, back in the day. If they did it now, that'd be scary. Yeah, I'd be like, man, who picked this? Yes. Another reason that Ghost in the Shell stood out as much as it did in 1995 was because the film is just like extremely stylized and there's just so many details in each shot. And Ghost in the Shell used a process called digitally generated animation, known as DGA, which is a combination of cell animation and computer graphics. And at the time, DGA was considered to be the future for animated films. If you think about like 20 something years ago, like they just started using computer graphics and like everything was usually held and drawn with yes. cells. I don't actually know what a cell is. I'm not about to sit here and explain cells. It's like the multiplication process in the body. It's how we reproduce, right? Man. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Dang. We're so funny. Yeah, we we're we're hilarious. Don't don't listen to this. What are you doing? Don't listen to this. Don't listen to this. So the combination of the digitally generated animation and the cell animation created a realism that was like just u- very unique to this movie. The right. action sequences and the cin- cinematography were just like leagues above other movies that came out around the same time right. i would say and i figured i'd go ahead and cells are you know they have those transparent sheets in between you know what i mean oh it's short because right, it's, it's celluloid and that's yeah. what the paper is made out of 
Yeah. Cool. So then you just keep drawing over it and yeah. over it. And it's a huge oh my God. drawn out process. Now literally. that, okay, I should have known that, but now that I have a visual, because I know that like. I mean, you, um, you've seen how, you know, you've seen videos of like Disney and Miyazaki. Well, yeah, I know like, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I know Princess Mononoke was like the last Ghibli film that was just like straight up hand drawn with cells. Right, and right. And he oversaw like. 75% of the cells and like these movies have like millions of cells in them or like thousands hundreds of thousands of cells in them and he oversaw like 70% of that one for that movie yeah, so he, like he's, a type, he's, he's crazy. the type of, he's the type of guy who's like if you want it done right yeah. you have to do it yourself he's one of those cuz the director doesn't do that but like he was like no I'm doing this he's always very involved <laughs> in his own stuff yeah I think that's awesome. Yeah. All, all of these great directors have a huge hand and like a very intimate relationship with their like, with cells and the graphics. Like they get into it a lot, which I've I'm starting to learn is the best people are just all around like hands on in all the fields like the animation, the sound, the production, the directing, like just all of that. It's really cool. Anyway, I guess we could talk about. A little bit of the like philosophical aspect of the movie. Oh, buddy, let me get out my thesaurus. You got your thesaurus. <laughs> you got your stegosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Lord. <laughs> how would you, yeah, like how, what did you think of the philosophical aspect of the movie? Her dealing with figuring out who she is or what she is? I mean, it's one of those movies where it's not where they use metaphors for everything. It's not spelled out for you really, but it's not it's not like not obvious as well. If that makes any sense, and I think it's handled great because even if you're not racking your brain around it when you're watching the movie, like it's not something that you're like having to you know have a have a have a stroke about. Yeah, I think that we kind of in the year 2017, we have a very realistic grasp of what they're talking about in the movie with cybernetics and AI more so than maybe someone in 1995 right. who like like we said computers just started being a part of everyday life there wasn't really an internet so for someone back then like maybe this movie was would have kind been, of yeah would have been out like there for them wild but for us i mean when i was watching it i was just like yep I can't wait till I have a cybernetic arm. And I, and I watched, you know, and I watched it when I was a uh, youngin. So it was like mid 2000s, I think, when I first watched it, and it still like blew me away in terms of like technology and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a lot. It's it's a very different f world than what we see. It's just so cool to think to to be able to just take your brain and go jack in Mega Man, and you know. And you're connected to the wire. You're connected to the wire. It's crazy. Some of the big philosophical themes in this movie, which the director Oshi said that he got a lot of like lashback or just like criticism from, you know, the producers during the movie because they kind of wanted something more action involved, action oriented. Right. Because, you know, that's what people want to see when they go to the movies. They want to see action. I, I'm just kidding. I love action movies. But Oshi didn't really... That wasn't the movie that he wanted to make. He wanted to make a movie 
you know. It was more thought-provoking. It was thought-provoking, focused on computers, and, you know, like, the effect of technology on humanity. And he wanted to talk, he wanted to touch on, like, philosophical themes, like identity and what one's self is. But he wanted to do that in, in this futuristic setting where humanity is on its last leg and computers are like on the verge of becoming like outliving humans or being the dominant species i guess you could you could put it that way so there was a little bit of action in this movie but it was mostly exposition and just like people discussing things like it was a lot of matoko the major discussing with the puppet master like what her importance is why she's important why the puppet master is important and he, the, the the dynamic between like humans and cyborgs and computer programs and ai artificial intelligence so i think that she kind of figured out i don't know this is my opinion i think at the end of the movie she kind of figured out like that the thing that made her different was that she had this cyber brain but she doesn't really know much about the human it came from right right so that was why she stood out amongst the other people in like section nine because she had a cyber brain she had a human brain but a cybernetic body and i think towards the end of the movie after talking to the puppet master she kind of she kind of just realized that like that doesn't matter as much the only thing that matters is like learning as much as she can so she can like thrive as much as she can right i want to talk about the ending without giving away the ending though well we can't do that because we'll spoil everybody i know but like darn (laughs) go watch the movie yeah and send us an email let us know you finished the movie yeah do that let us know because that would be cool if we could talk to whoever wants to talk to us about the movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. I I guess, yeah, it's hard to talk about the philosophical stuff without, like, spoiling, spoiling a lot of a lot what of makes it. the movie kind of surprising. And, and yeah. Um, but, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of philosophical stuff, So, but there's also a lot of action. I feel like they kind of did a good job of meeting in the middle. I would say that. And there is less a- action than philosophical stuff, but the action itself is really cool. And, you know, it's a, it's a good movie. And I feel like it's a movie that both parties can enjoy. Like, someone who likes action movies and doesn't like to think that much, like, would probably still enjoy the movie. Yeah, I think it's all around enjoyable by people. I feel like you have to be... You do have to be, like, in the mood to watch it. Like, I feel like if you if it was on TV and you just sat down like you, I feel like you have to want to watch it to like it which is well it's a very moody movie it's a moody movie so like if you're if you want to watch a moody movie moody movie I hate saying I that I hate this too yeah um but if, we're, you, if yeah. you want to watch that type of movie it's perfect just you know just know that going into it um so medicine pie were you a fan of the TV series Ghost in the Shell, The Standalone Complex? I was very much a fan, um, even though I was a kid at first and didn't understand a lot of what was going on. Yeah. I, For some reason, I still ended up watching a lot of it, and I was probably too young to be watching it. 
but as most yeah i loved it things that you watched yeah yeah my first my first scary movie was candy man and i was like <laughs> six so that's why i messed up now it's okay i still love you so yeah there was a tv series that followed the movie it came out in 2002 and it has about 52 episodes it's called Standalone Complex. Standalone Complex has a fire opening song. Yeah, the music in that is really great, but the opening song is so good. Um, it was composed by um, Yoko Kano. Bless, bless Yoko Kano. So the next podcast is that we're just going to talk about Yoko Kano the whole time. That's what we're doing. Bless her. We heart. can do that. We, li- we are we do doing that? that? I th- we might need to do that. We can do that. Um, Heck yeah. It might not be the next one, but we could. It'll do be that. one of them. Darn it. Because um. Yeah, why why wouldn't we? She's done so much good stuff. Hey, write that down. I'm, I straight into my notes. Write that down. So we're getting to the point where we have to wrap up the show, but I hope it was enjoyable to hear us ramble about Ghost in the Shell for a bit. We're not the smartest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> You were saying. Sorry for the spikes. Um, that, that was it. We're, we're that just, was it? <laughs> no. You want to say it again just one more time? So we're not the smartest. Like we're, we're not the best at explaining. Was there a but in there or was, was that it? We're not the best at explaining stuff, but we we love these movies. And we feel qualified to at least tell you, at least recommend a good movie to the you. The weeb and the plea. The weeb and the plea. <laughs> we, oh we, we feel at least qualified to recommend a good movie to you. Yes, we can do that. We don't have to be rocket scientists to recommend a good movie, yeah, right? We, right. You know, I went to college. I didn't. And you, you didn't. I but, didn't, but look at me. But you're look at you now. You're I'm, getting, I'm an idiot. You're getting paper, though. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. Um... Yeah, this has been Bonus Features Podcast. I'm Corduroy. I'm Slim Shady. Thank you. Shout out to USC Student Media for allowing this podcast to exist. And our multimedia directors in the Student Media Department of USC, Luke Baker and George Wassel. They are they are awesome. Great. So, yeah, we're, we're done here. Tune in to the next podcast. Au revoir. <laughs> Sayonara. Thank you.